ready or not, here I come. These immortal words begin the wonderful tradition of hide and seek. I assume most of you are familiar with the game. Right? There, there are a group of people that hide, and then there's one person that counts that does the seeking. And the hiders, they can win the game by either being the last person to be found, that's one way to play, or by reaching somewhere that's designated as base, that's another way to play. And the seeker, well, he, he wins by finding everyone. I gotta say, uh, I'm pretty good at hide and seek in my house. It's because I don't know that my kids quite get it. They always hide in the same places, right? Windowsill, behind the couch, under some pillows. They have their favorite spots. Well, I, every once in a while, they'll get me. Elliot laid on the floor just prostrate the other day and jumped up and scared me. But typically, I always know where they are. Their footfalls and their giggles gives them away. This morning, we're turning our attention to the story of Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. And Ananias, whose name means gracious, and Sapphira, whose name means beautiful one, are going to attempt to hide their ugliness from the church. They're going to try and pull one over on God's people. But the problem is, God knows. He knows just where they are. He knows the sin they are hiding behind. God knows where you are this morning. He knows what sins you are attempting to hide yourself in. Actually, the main idea this morning is that God knows where you are. He knows where you're at spiritually. Looks can be deceiving, but God is not fooled. I'm going to exhort you this morning to stop hiding in your sin, stop hiding from God, and to be found in Christ. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you that by faith in Jesus, we get to know you as Father. Indeed, we are your adopted children. We can be so bold as to Enjoy intimacy with you. And be so bold as to come before you with each and every need. Without fear of being condemned. But Father, we ask this morning that you would remind us that you are fierce. Remind us of your power and your majesty and your glory. Remind us of the earth-shaking nature of your presence. Help us to fear you. The same way that Isaiah fell to the ground at your presence. The same way that John fell to the ground as, as a puddle when he saw the resurrected Jesus, let us respond to you with a right fear so that you might say to us, fear not. It's only when we fear you above all else that every other terror looks small and becomes insignificant. You are the God who rules over everything. Nothing is hidden from you. Nothing is outside of your control or your power. Not even us. Help us to see and to savor the beauty of Christ this morning. 
We pray this in his name. Amen. So we are in Acts 5, and if you remember, we've summarized Acts this way. Jesus goes up, that he, that's, he ascends to the throne to sit at the right hand of God where he rules and he reigns. Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, he fills up God's people with the power of God, and the church goes out proclaiming the works of God. Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down, the church goes out. We see Jesus go up in chapter 1, and before he does, he promises his church that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they will be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In chapter 2, this starts to happen. The Spirit comes. Peter preaches the message. He tells everyone that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting on, and that this Jesus is for all who will repent and put their faith in him, all who will repent and be baptized. The church is established. Things are going really well. Now we get to Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple. Uh, They're going to pray, and they encounter a lame man who's over 40 years old. You remember we said that this lame man had woken up every day for over 40 years, rubbed the sleep out of his eyes, looked down and recognized that his feet did not work. But on that day, Peter and John, they made eye contact with him and he he asked them for some money. And Peter said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And so leaping with great joy, he clings to Peter and John. He enters into the temple and everyone begins to notice. And what we learn is that this miracle serves the message. This miracle serves the propagation of the gospel. And so Peter and John, again, they they begin to preach and teach about all that Jesus has done. Peter once more says, you can have your sins wiped out if you pledge allegiance to King Jesus He's risen, he's real, he's alive, he's ruling, he's reigning. All you have to do is turn from your sin and trust him. You can have life. This upsets the apple cart of traditional Judaism, especially because they're, they're teaching these things in the temple. The Sadducees don't take kindly to that, and so they arrest Peter and John. And they think, maybe a night in the clink will help them to sober up a little bit and to stop teaching these things. And so Peter goes before them, and he has every opportunity to offer politically correct answers. They ask him, by what power have you healed this man? He could have sidestepped by the power of the God of Israel, and they would have approved. He could have changed the conversation and said, well, let's talk about my economic plan. No. Peter boldly proclaims Christ. And he says, Jesus is the only way to God. There's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. He tells them that they need to repent and they need to trust him. Not because he's, he's mean, but because Jesus is real. Because the gospel is true. Pharisees, or I'm sorry, the Sadducees get together and they, they can converse. They say, we need to just, just tell these guys to shut up. And that's what they do. Like, we'll threaten them and we'll tell them to be quiet. And Peter and John say, we can't do that. We have to obey God rather than man. Knowing this will bring persecution onto them, they get together with the other believers, tell them what's happened, and they pray for God to give them courage to endure suffering. Not to be taken out of the circumstances that are going to come their way. Not to be removed from the pain that is going to come to them, but for courage and for boldness that they, in the midst of those sufferings, in the midst of those hardships, might trust God and might speak faithfully of the Lord Jesus. And as they pray those things, God shakes the place that they are in. There's this this wonderful truth. The place is shaken, but they are not. The place is shaken, and they are strengthened. They're strengthened by the Spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, as a result of being filled with the Spirit, continue to begin to speak the Word of God boldly. And that takes us up to where we were last week where we have one of these social media posts of Luke. They're sprinkled throughout the book of Acts, where he kind of gives you this summary Facebook post of everything looking awesome. 
and the church having good fun together. We saw the first one back in Acts chapter 2. And I told you last week, uh, this little summary is, is a lot like a social media post or, or old photographs of your family, where typically uh, when we put something on social media, it's not a fight with our spouse, right? It's not, I just had a blowout fight, got the last word in, we're in different rooms, slam the doors, it's awesome, you know, like it. It's not our kids throwing fits. No, it's those, those wonderful times, those fun times. We're, we're on vacation on the beach. Everybody's smiling. But, but we know behind the social media posts and behind this, this picture we get of the church that there's sinfulness. There's strife. There's, there's mess. There's always mess together with the beauty. Because the church has always been a group of sinners saved by Christ. You know, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian is repenting. A Christian is trusting Jesus. That's the only difference. Christians, we, we still sin. We, we're a broken people and, and we need Jesus. That's why we come here week after week to hear Jesus proclaimed. We, we need him. And so underneath this beautiful picture of the church we had last week where we saw the church united in its belief in Jesus, taking responsibility for one another, meeting one another's needs, underneath that beauty, we see in Acts, for the first time, some of the mess within the church. We see that sin has crept in through the back door. But first, let's, let's revisit this beautiful picture. I'm just going to read to you verses 32 through 37 of chapter 4. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I mean, this is awesome. Everything is going great. Everybody's sharing their possessions. Nobody's forcing them to give these things up. They're sharing their things for the benefit of one another. They're, they're taking responsibility. They say, my brother has a need. My sister has a need. I can meet it. I'm going to meet it, no matter what it costs me. And behind that beautiful picture sit Ananias and Sapphira plotting together in a dark cave, dungeon, an evil layer of some type. Sometimes that's how we picture them, isn't it? That's, that's not what's going on. They're not maniacal. Though it is fun to picture them that way. They're probably just pretty regular people. They're pretty regular people, but, but the problem is, is they, get, they get duped. They start to believe a lie more than the truth. They start to, to think to themselves, we need to be recognized to be important in the body of Christ. They start to build their identity on how other people perceive them rather than on Jesus. And as a result of that, they take action to prop themselves up, to make themselves look better than they are. So you can, you can picture Ananias and Sapphira sitting at the kitchen table. And Ananias is sitting there, they're talking about these things. Barnabas this, and Barnabas that. Barnabas, Barnabas, Barnabas. When's everybody going to see he's not that great? That, that we're just as cool as Barnabas. And Sapphira's like, honey, you're absolutely right. And I ask, I've got it. I've got it. We'll sell our property and we'll give some of it to the church and they'll think we're generous like Barnabas. 
and we'll keep the rest of it to ourselves. But we'll tell everybody that we gave it all. We're going to look real good. And Sapphira was like, that's brilliant. You know, they're not real estate agents. They're not going to know the difference. And so, just kind of innocently, they come up, in my mind, they, they come up with this plot. You know, they want the acclaim that comes with being as generous as Barnabas, but they don't actually want to be generous. They want to look better than they are. They want the applause of people. And that becomes more important to them than obedience to God. Church for Ananias and Sapphira amounts to a competition for prestige rather than an exercise of obedience, lo- obedience and love to God. And so with plan in pocket, they begin to carry it out in verse 1 of chapter 5. Service is going on, and we read, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Everything's going according to plan. They sold the property. They got a a little piece of it. They're going to give it away and they've, they've kept back the other portion of it for themselves. And Ananias has, has gotten up. He, he's come to the apostles' feet. He probably gave a speech, is what the text assumes, that he's talked. He said, this is the, the profit from selling our property. We are giving all of it. Things are looking good. You know, he's, he's kind of put it in the offering plate. He's like walking back to his seat. And Sapphira's not there. Uh, and what we'll find is that the church met really long periods of time, right? Like all day. And so I don't know what she's doing and why she's not there initially. Uh, and so I just like to pretend that she's at home like doing her hair and making sure she looks really pretty so that when she comes into church later and rolls in, everybody's like, she's going to look good when everybody's giving her, well, thank you for your generous donation. That was so awesome. Thank you for your sacrificial giving. By the way, her hair looks great. So she's not, she's not pictured. But things seem to be going according to, plan, to the plan. And we get to verse 3. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, was it not yours? Wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Can we all just acknowledge how awkward this would be? Like, Ananias gives this great speech. He, he gives his money over, lays at the apostles' feet, and then he's like walking back to his seat, and, and the pastor's like, why has Satan filled you that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? Like, it's pretty awkward. You ask, how, how did Ananias get to this point? How, how did it come to this. I think it's because they believed two primary lies. They were, they were deceived into thinking that status and fame were worth a small deception. And they think that, that it's okay, it's no big deal to lie to the church and gain themselves some fans. Their, their aim and their goal is to be well-liked. I mean, we, listen, we would never stretch the truth just a little bit to make people like us more, would we? Never. We, we would never compromise our integrity to gain a little fanfare. Would we? This is what they've decided to do. And the second lie that they believe is that God isn't going to judge this. 
Right? In their minds, they've gone, no one will know. No one's getting hurt. We can keep our money and get semi-famous like Barnabas. Like maybe we'll get cool nicknames like him. But the truth is that God knows and that God will judge. How, how did they get here? book of James, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, tell us this. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. See, the problem is they didn't kill the sin at its conception. This desire came in them. And they planned for it. They gestated it. I don't know if that's the right word or not. They got like pregnant with it. And then birthed it and nursed it. They, they took care of this sin and let it grow. They thought, we can have our sin and Jesus at the same time. We can, we can lie to God and have God, and he's going to be perfectly fine with that. We can pretend to be one thing, and in reality... We can be another. And they begin to, to believe this lie. And it's this following of their heart's desire that leads them into death. And they have help getting there. Verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I don't know, I don't know exactly what this means. And we can draw two conclusions, though. One is that Satan is involved in this whole gambit. He's helping them along in their sin. And then second, we're supposed to see a contrast. If you, if you just look back in 431, they pray and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them and they speak the word of God. And if you look down here, Satan has filled them and he's lying to God. And those that are, are filled with the Spirit begin to speak of Jesus and to make much of God. Ananias and Sapphira, though, their speaking, their actions are aimed not at bringing glory to God, but bringing attention to themselves. We have the spirit of truth being contrasted with the father of lie. It's these lies that are believed, these lies that are cultivated in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira that lead them into death. Friends, we must put sin to death. Like, when will, when will we realize that we can't have peace with our sin and with Jesus at the same time? I mean, how, how many of us justify whatever our, our favorite souvenir sin is and, and say, well, Jesus is okay with, with my sin because X, Y, and Z. I know the Bible says but Jesus is okay. We, we, have, we have our own agreement. He knows. You can't have peace with your sin and with Jesus. He, he died not so you could have peace with your sin, but so that you could have peace with God. And he calls you to crucify your sin, mortify it, to, to kill it. And yet time and time again, we go, this sin really isn't that harmful. It's no big deal. I can have my sin and Jesus. It'll work out. I think it's like um, the Jurassic Park franchise. Like a, I feel like there's 100 movies now, but maybe it's like five or six. I, I don't know. But every movie, they're like, great idea, guys. Dinosaur. Zoo. And everybody goes, that's great. We love dinosaurs. We'll put them in the zoo. 
in a remote place, and then people will come out, they'll see the dinosaurs, it'll be wonderful. And then the dinosaurs get out and they eat people and people die, and that's why we go and see the movies. But then the next movie starts, and at the beginning, they, they're, they're talking to one another about how ter- all these terrible things happened, but, but they're going to do it right this time. We're going to have it under control this time. Great idea, dinosaur zoo. Everybody goes, yeah, we'll have it under control this time, great. And then the dinosaurs get out and they eat everybody and there's carnage. And it repeats again and again and again. And you're sitting there and you're going, at what point does somebody go, no, the dinosaur zoo is a bad idea. It doesn't work. Friends, making peace with your sin is a bad idea. It doesn't work. You might think you have it domesticated, but it is going to break out. And it's going to break apart your life. You might think it's hidden now and you've got it under control, but you do not. It's going to turn on you. And it's hidden only from God. Not from God. It's hidden to everybody else, but not from God. He he knows. So we must kill sin. Colossians 3.5 So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, I want you to see this, you have faith in Christ. Therefore, as a result of having faith in Christ, here's the command, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Put to death whatever is earthly within you. Put your sin to death. Jesus has saved us from the power and the condemnation of sin. He has saved us from the penalty of sin. But we are still, until he comes, fighting against the presence of sin in our lives. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, because Christ has put on us the yoke of freedom. Remember he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble at heart. Jesus gives us a light yoke so that it's a joy to obey him. It's for our good. He removes from our necks that yoke of slavery, those chains of sin. We're not to submit to sin again. We're to fight against it. Galatians 5, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Friends, salvation is surrender to Christ. Amen. All you have to do is believe in Him and trust Him. But sanctification is war. You hear me? Salvation is surrender. Sanctification is war. What that means is positionally in Jesus, I am righteous. I'm right with God. But practically, right here, right now, I still sin. And I have to fight against that sin as I depend on the Holy Spirit of God at work within me. If you are not waging war against your sin, it's because you've made peace with it. That's a problem. It's a problem. John Owen rightly said, be killing sin or it will be killing you absolutely right. Friends, when we refuse to do what Jesus has said and obey ourselves rather than him, we are building our lives on a sandy foundation. You remember at the end of the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Luke's account, 646, why do you call to me, Lord, Lord, 
and don't do the things I say. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came and the river crashed against that house, it couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, if you're following me, then you're going to do what I say. Stand firm on Christ. Believe what Jesus has said rather than whatever lies you are tempted to believe. It's a good, good practice to say to yourself, what, am I, what lies am I tempted to believe? It's a good practice to have friends in Christ who will ask you, what lie are you tempted to believe this week? How can I pray for you? We must resolve to be about battling against our sin. Jonathan Edwards used to write these resolutions for himself, one of which was resolved never to do anything that I would not be willing to do in my last hour of life. I think that's a good one. What if we resolved to never do anything that we wouldn't do if it was the last hour we had to live? must be striving against and fighting our sin. We must be building our lives on Christ, the rock, not on an unsure foundation of sand. Ananias and Sapphira begin building their identity and their very lives on their position and the perception of others. And they thought that this status would satisfy them. They thought that this status was worth the lie it would cost. They were wrong. They, they thought that no one would know. And that certainly God wouldn't, wouldn't judge them if he found out. He'd be okay with their sin. They had a deal. But the Jesus that doesn't judge you is the Jesus of your imagination. And the problem with imaginary Jesus is that he's imaginary. The real Jesus calls for real faith and real repentance. The real Jesus really hates your real sin and he really judges. Ananias and Sapphira both learned this lesson the hard way. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, words of Peter, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young man came in, young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. So you can imagine putting yourself in the room. Ananias comes forward and says, I've got this huge gift. I'm going to give it to the church. He's walking back to his seat. Peter says to him, why has Satan caused you to lie to God the Holy Spirit at hearing the words before they even reach all the way to the back? Ananias falls over dead. And some young guys look around at each other and they're like, um... I guess we should bury him. And so they, they wrap him up and they take him outside and they bury him. Everybody stays for church because they're like, that guy just gave a bunch of money and he's dead. If I leave early, you know, 
The service keeps going on, though. This is, it's crazy. The ser- they just keep worshiping. About three hours later, and y'all complain about like an hour and a half. Come on now. About three hours later, Sapphira is coming up. She's, she's got her hair did. She's ready for all those thank yous. And instead, she's greeted by really uncomfortable stares. Like, she makes her way up, and, and Peter has that conversation with her. Tell me, did, hey, did you guys sell the land for this much? Just like her husband, she lies. And just like her husband, she dies. And there at the apostles' feet where they thought they would gain fame and prestige from dropping money, their bodies were dropped as a result of their sin. That which was no big deal to God turned out to be a very big deal. I don't know how Peter knew. Maybe he had a dream, maybe God showed it to him right away but he was speaking with the authority of God and the judgment of God fell. This is a miracle. Now some of you are like, wait, a miracle? I don't typically associate things like this with a miracle. But the, the way I think of miracles, it's, it's the suspension of the normal functioning of our world wherein God breaks in and changes things. Typically, I think of it as heaven breaking into earth. And I think that fits the description here. Ananias and Sapphira normally wouldn't have died. But God's judgment falls fast and fierce. Normal laws of health are suspended. Indeed, in the new heavens and the new earth, sin will not be present. Sin will not be found among God's people. God desires that his church be pure. Judgment breaks out because their sin is found out. And that miracle will serve the message, which is our God is to be feared. Our God judges sin. Our God knows where you are hiding. He knows. And he's going to find you out. Yes, your looks might be deceiving. You might have everybody tricked, but not him. This always makes me think, and I've shared this story once long ago, but I think most of you remember it. Just pretend like you haven't heard it. You'll know the appropriate parts, where to laugh and and all that fun stuff. But uh, I once uh, attended a party at at a friend's in Raleigh, and there were all these wonderful desserts spread out in front of me. And as usual, I have to figure out which one will be um, the most delectable, which one I should sample a little bit of. And there is this beautiful-looking cake icing all over the top. I mean, I'm like, this is the one. This is the clear winner. Not even been cut yet. And I get up there, and I cut into the thing, and I am cut to the heart with disappointment. It is watermelon. Somebody put icing on watermelon and tried to pass it off as a cake. Are they out of their minds? The looks of the thing were deceiving, but it was found out. Listen, you you might have the right look. You might have all the icing of the Christian life. But there is coming a day when your life will be cut open and laid bare. And it will be discovered if you are true cake, I'm Christian in this analogy, or if you're a watermelon. Sin will find you out. I mean, there are a myriad of examples of this. Uh, last Sunday, I got cut up for like an hour and just completely ignored my family. It was, I was terrible for doing it, but I got, I got caught up, and maybe you saw the headline of the, uh, the McDonald's guy Right? He, was, he ran the McDonald's Monopoly deal. He was their head of security. And he figured out a way to game the system where he could get all the winning McDonald's Monopoly pieces. And he sold them to a bunch of different associates and basically turned into like this huge kind of like, almost like a mobster. And I kept expecting the story to end, but it went deeper and deeper and deeper. And he did it for over a decade. So all the McDonald's winners, when you would play the McDonald's Monopoly, were 
or people that were like, hey, he was like, hey, do you want to win a million dollars? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, here you go, and here's how you do it, and then I just will require a kickback of like 50 grand, 70 grand, whatever. Did it for years. He got found out. I also think of uh, George O'Leary, the Notre Dame coach. Got his dream job, coach of Notre Dame football. A reporter was doing a story on him, and he went back to uh, where he had attended college at New Hampshire and asked all, all the foreign players, what was it like to play with Coach O'Leary? Coach O'Leary? I don't remember playing with him. The reporter did some digging. Turns out he never played football there. He lied about it on his resume to help him get a job early on in his life, coaching career, and never took it off. The result was his removal from University of Notre Dame. There are plenty more of examples. You can probably think of a few yourself. Sin will find you out. If it finds you out in this life, some of those minor consequences, loss of a job, prison sentence, well, they can serve as a, a judgment that leads to your salvation. The kindness of the Lord in your life that will help to purify you. Judgment doesn't always work like that. It's often a final, it's a final judgment that's coming for all of us. Sin will catch up with you. God knows. What secret sin are you hiding? This passage should sober up those of us who consider ourselves Christians. Because it very much is a, a proclamation from this miracle that serves the message. If you are a fake Christian, God hates that. And he will deal with it. The words of Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, apply readily to us. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. God knows. The whole place is filled with fear because we are to fear God. God who holds the whole universe in his hand like a fidget spinner. Yes, Jesus is our friend, but he's also our king. He warns of this also in Luke 12. We read, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling one another. And Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Fear not. You are worth more 
than many sparrows. Sin is serious. God will judge it. If we fall into sin, we should do so with great trepidation. God hates it. It is a big deal. God is so serious about sin that Jesus went to the cross. You understand that? God is so committed to justice. He's so committed to ending evil and making all things well that instead of just killing you and me like we deserve, putting us under his wrath for eternity. He chose to make a way for us to be free from the consequences of sin. And his way was to come to earth himself, to live the perfect life like you and I should have lived in our place, and to die a substitutionary death in our place. So what's happening on the cross is Jesus is taking the punishment that you and I deserve so that we, by faith in him, can take hold of the blessing that only he deserves. He lives the life we should have lived and dies the death we should have died. The, the blood-stained cross is the testimony, is testimony to God's commitment to rightly judging sin. It's also a testimony of his commitment to rightly loving you. The cross is where God's justice and his mercy meet. It's where his love and his wrath kiss. The cross is where we see the sincerity of our sin. And the cross is where we see the severity of God's love for us. Those are the depths to which God was willing to go to rescue you. Jesus went to the cross so that we don't have to hide in our sin, but so that we can be set free from it. Went to the cross so that we can fear him properly above all else. It's not until you fear God above everything else, that you can hear him say to you, fear not. Friends, in response to God knowing everything about us, we must repent. Christian, this, is, this should be a lifestyle for you. This is a message every week. Repent of your sin. Follow Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I want to exhort you, turn from your sin Put your faith in Jesus because tomorrow might not come. Like Ananias and Sapphira, I can imagine this, this kind of calculus going on in their head. We'll lie today, get the approval and the friends we want today, and we'll repent of our sin next week. Right? You've heard people say it. I'll do what I want now, and 20 years from now, then I'll repent. I'll get right with God on my deathbed and do what I want now. Friend, tomorrow might not come. That opportunity might not come. The wages of sin is death, and God has the right to exact payment whenever he wants. The righteousness of God should compel us to repent quickly. Knowing that God is good and that he's for our good should lead us to repent quickly. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Christian, a right fear of God should also lead you to evangelize. I'm big on relational evangelism. It takes time. You've got to earn that relational capital. But don't let evangelistic strategies stifle your voice. You don't know if you'll have a next time to share the gospel with that friend. 
If they don't know God, the freight train of his right wrath is bearing down on them. The least you can do before they die is say, get out of the way. Trust in Christ. God knows where everyone is spiritually. We need to stop hiding in our sins, trusting in our sins. We need to be honest. We need to confess our sins. Hide ourselves in Christ, who is our life. We need to stop hiding in our sins and be found by God. And he knows where you are. Step out. Confess Jesus as Lord and be found. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story of Ananias and Sapphira. It shows us so many of ourselves. It warns us of becoming so obsessed with things that really don't matter rather than focused on you. That, that we are sinners who are susceptible to believing lies. Help us to believe the truth of Christ crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. By your Spirit, help us to make war with our sin that we might not meet the end that Ananias and Sapphira met. You are our good and mighty king, and we, we love you. You are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You are the good shepherd. You are gentle and humble at heart. And Lord Jesus, you are also king, high and lifted up, exalted, the one who wages war with his tongue, one who emanates all the attributes of God in their perfection. You are holy. Pray that we wouldn't forget that you are our God and not only our friend. Help us to fear you rightly so that we can Hear you say to us, fear not. I've given you the kingdom. Help us to love you more deeply in response to your incredible power. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.